Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. This sermon series is based off of the one verse that I think connects the whole entire Bible to, or this whole entire uh, book of Acts together, and it's found in Acts 1.8, and this is what it says. It says, uh, you got it, here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This, right now, the piece of scripture that we're, following, uh, what, that we're finally in this morning is exactly what Jesus has been talking about. Remember that um, all of the disciples wanted, wanted Israel to be set up to something bigger, that God would do something different. And he says, but hold on, here's the deal. You'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So they've been waiting. They've been waiting patiently for this very moment. Pentecost, if we um, look into this, you can write this down in your notes. So if you're taking things, what is Pentecost? Pentecost isn't just a new word. I used to think growing up that Pentecost was, oh, well, that was when the Holy Spirit came down. Actually, no, they'd been celebrating Pentecost for years upon years. It was a festival, okay? It was 50 days. The day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover, the Passover, of course, we know is the idea of uh, that Moses kind of set up that if you slaughtered the lamb, you put the blood on your doorposts and the uh, angel of death would pass by and your house would be saved. And so what does Jesus do? He dies um, during the Passover and so we see Jesus' blood covering us. And no longer do we ha- suffer the penalty of death. God has paid for that in Passover with Jesus. And so now we come to this next festival 50 days later. And there's other festivals in between. But I, I, I'm not smart enough to tell you guys all of those yet because I'm still working through them. But Pentecost, here's the idea. Is that after taking in um, all the other kind of uh, all the other offerings, this is a day of first fruit offerings. This is a day where after the wheat harvest, you would take all of your your best wheat and you would bring it and you would say, God, this is my offering. It's not a sacrifice. It is, well, yeah, it is if you need some of it, but it is you giving your first fruits the best to God, and you're laying it down and going, God, would you take this offering? And the most amazing thing is after looking at this, and we're going to get into this a little bit further, is once again, God is our example in this. And we'll dive in a little bit more here in just a second, but we see God giving the Holy Spirit to us. The same Holy Spirit breath that he started the whole entire creation with in Genesis 1. Once again, like I said, I will get into that, but it's the idea that Jesus continues or God continues in this whole entire story of setting up the church. God continues to go first over and over again to show us the way. And so in this, these guys are sitting there in this upper room waiting 
for a gift from God. While they're also going to be celebrating this feast, which everybody else is giving their first fruits to God to say, here we go. But instead, these people are expectantly waiting for God to do something completely different. Can you imagine what they might be doing in this room? Because as we talked about last week, they, from the day that Jesus went into heaven to the day that Pentecost happened was 10 days. They were sitting in this room for 10 days. Can you imagine what's been going on this whole entire time as they were sitting in this room together? God, Jesus has just been teaching them for 40 days about all the scripture, all the things that have been concerning him and what's going on, and they start to get a picture of, oh my goodness, this is what's really happening. Jesus came to die for our sins, and we are sinful people, and he's the lamb, and man, Passover is amazing, and, and our, our sins are forgiven, and what if in this room they start actually talking about all the sins that they were, they were wrong with? And what if it took 10 days for them just to get together as a group of people like we talked about last week and actually become whole again by having 12 disciples? But I, I imagine they're sitting there going, let's, let's get together and let's do this right. Peter, I know that you're brash, and so maybe you need to work on that a little bit. Thomas, why do you keep doubting? I mean, all of these things, and they're in this room together. They're praying for one another. They're waiting for God. And a miracle beyond miracles happens. You see, in my own life, I think that I think, um, and take me as an example for you guys, I, I don't think it's so much of, uh, I do a lot of expectant waiting, but I do a lot of expectant waiting in the negative sense of the word. So yesterday, um, I was running the clock um, at this game, and uh, I'm doing, I, I I'm a prideful person, okay, so I also um, take very much pride in my job, and so like, I'm like, okay, I, I have systems that I can prove if anybody comes to me and says that I'm doing a bad job, um, I can tell them, ha-ha, no, you're wrong, I'm right. And so uh, yesterday, I'm running the clock, and one of the coaches uh, comes over, and he says, uh, he goes, hey, you got the score wrong, and I said, no, I don't. And he said, and he said yeah, you do, you have, the, you have the score wrong. And I said, and I looked over at the score sheet and I said, nope, score's absolutely right. Uh, unless you have a book to prove otherwise, we're right. And I just went on to, to uh, keep on, you know, running the clock. And then I'm sitting there going, you sounded really combative. Like, why didn't you just go, hey, I'll check when we get a break, right? I mean, that would have been better for me, but instead, um, I said, I said, you're wrong. And then, I, and then I turned over to him and I said, not that I was trying to like, create a fight with you or anything like that. I'm sorry. I just, this and that. And he goes, he goes, no, you're just trying to create a fight. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> I'll stop talking to you right now. And uh, then at, at that point, I was going, he is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Even though he was from Malta. Anyway. <laughs> I'm joking. I love people from Malta, okay? But I, I talked to him later. That's why I, I feel okay about telling the story. Because he was absolutely right, is I was expectantly waiting a fight. I was expectantly waiting for me to be right. 
In my life, if I'm going to expectantly wait for something, it's usually so I can prepare for the worst, not give God the most glory. What would have happened if, like I said, I would have said, hey, you know what? You could be right. I'm going to make sure that the books are correct, but um, right now I have to make sure that I can watch the game. As soon as I get a point, let's, let's talk about it. Because then we would have come to a conclusion that, oh, he thought he was visitors and he was actually home. And as soon as he found out that he was home, he's like, oh, okay, great. Yep, awesome. We're good. I think that in most of our lives, when we expectantly wait for something, it's usually for the worse. Some of us sit here and, and go, well, I'm going to expectantly wait for cancer to just kill me. I'm just going to wait for old age. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know why I brought that to health, except for the fact that I think that most of the time, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, we, we want to go down the worst hole. We, we want to go down that spiral and, and not go, well, wait a second. What if God is doing something in us and through us? And when we expectantly wait for something completely different that could blow the doors wide open, and that we could understand that verse of Acts 1.8 that says that you are witnesses. And like I said at the very first week of this, uh, three weeks ago, I said, it doesn't matter if you understand that, like, like all, all of this, uh, what, of what's going on is you are witnesses no matter if you think you are or not. So what sort of witness do you have? And in this room, in this very moment, there is over 120 people expectantly waiting for God to do something through them so that they can be the witnesses for God. So that they can give their first fruits to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over and give their lives completely to that. You see, they realized in those 40 days that they were with Jesus that life really didn't matter compared to understanding that they needed a Savior, and it was Jesus Christ, and they put him on a cross, and they needed to ask for forgiveness. And so they begin to, in those 50 days of expectantly waiting, actually the 10 days of expectantly waiting, they are getting prepared to be Christ's witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outer ends of the earth. I wish that, like, I could say this was something simple and easy and, hey, now go, right? I wish I could just end the sermon. But I, I think we need to understand what's really going on in this scripture to kind of help us go forward. And if you thought that this sermon was going to be about uh, learning how to speak in tongues or um, what the Holy Spirit does, um, what great gifts you'll get because of the Holy Spirit. Man, after I've been reading this piece of scripture, it becomes more about expectantly waiting for God to do something in your life in which you give him the most glory. 
over and over again. And, and we'll get into the gifts of the Spirit later on, but I don't think that this is where, uh, that's where it leads us this morning. And so if you're taking notes with me this morning, I, I want to look at verses 1 through 4, and, and we're going to answer the question, not a question, but we're going to answer what happened to the apostles in Pentecost, at Pentecost. What happened to the apostles at Pentecost? Verses 1 through 3 say, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of the fire appeared and settled on each of them. If you like to circle things in your Bible or underline things in your Bible, um, in verse 2 it says, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like that of a roar, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. You can underline that, circle it, but one of the things that we know about that is um, uh, some people have said that this is, um, this is wind. Um, uh, another way of translating this is this is breath. Um, uh, another one is that this is the spirit, right? So at that very moment in this windstorm, the breath of God enters into the room. We see this in two other places in scripture uh, very poignantly. The first one is in the creation story. And the spirit of God was hovering over the deep and God said, let there be light, that very word of said, or he breathed this in, God is breathing into this room. Another uh, story is in Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones, which is interesting that we sung, uh, these are the days of Elijah. Um, but uh, when God, there's a whole army standing in front, and God breathes into them his breath. This isn't just some sort of like shattering the window sills and going, oh, there's a nice little breeze coming in. This is really fun. Oh, doesn't that feel good? No, this is something that has got power in it. This is something that has the ability to change the trajectory of people. This is why I think Paul says the old creation is gone and the new has come. It has the power to change nations. And it has the power to change single lives. Because it is the very breath of God. And then it goes on to say, then what happened then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. This is the exact same fire that we see leading the Israelites through the desert. It is also the exact same fire that Moses sees in the burning bush and it doesn't burn up the bush. Just like wind is a breath, and maybe we see its effects, but we don't see the wind, fire is the absolute presence of something there. 
And so not only is it the breath of God, but it is the absolute presence of God with these apostles in this room. And the thing that's amazing about this is that it lands on each and every one of them. It doesn't land on just the 12 disciples. It lands on all 120 people that are sitting there, which we look at as going, no, the breath and presence of God is for everyone who believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And this is different because every other time we see before this is either God allows the Holy Spirit to land on somebody or Jesus Christ asks the Holy Spirit to be on somebody. He prays the Holy Spirit over them so that they can go and be sent. And so before this time, what we've seen is the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit coming and going as God has asked it to. And now... The day of first fruits, God says, I am, not only did I give my son on Passover, but I am going to give you the Holy Spirit, the very spirit that he used to create all things is now in us, is upon us. And we can get into lots of theological debates upon what that actually looks like and what that means, and, and maybe we'll get down, down to that. But I, I need you to understand that this isn't just a moment where uh, it was just like, hey, pray for the Holy Spirit and you'll be good. I think this is a moment in which we see God is setting up the church for the future to go, you will be my witnesses, and you will have my power, and you will have my presence to do so. And so when you're afraid, when it comes to that point in time when maybe I need to speak love and <laughs> when I need to speak love and patience and kindness to a coach that comes up to me and says, you have it wrong, I am so filled with the Holy Spirit that in that moment, it's not about me, but it's about glorifying God whenever I can. Not only is God showing his goodness to Israel, but he's showing his goodness to all of us as well. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So what happened in the apostles at Pentecost? This is what happens, is they begin, right at this moment, speaking other languages. But that's not it, because I, I think we only get maybe a little bit of a glimpse of, of really what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I think that there's another um, verse out there that we need to tackle. And it's in Ephesians 5, uh, 18 through 21. And this is what it says. And I love how he starts this. Go, go ahead and pull that back up there for me. Perfect. I love when it starts with don't be drunk with wine because that's our last verse. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love this piece of scripture because when we see right away it is this, is when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we start communicating to one another. We start talking about the goodness of God. But then, as we do, we began to be filled with joy. We sing songs. We're so filled with joy that we are making music to God in our hearts. It's not that I'm looking for that next big mistake that I'm going to fail, but it's expectantly going, God, this is how good you are. And then we give thanks to God and we subject ourselves to one another. That's what they're doing in this room right there as they're being filled with the Spirit. And so this loud commotion happens, right? They not only do they see this wind and they understand this fire, but things start happening. You have 120 people start talking Start singing, start having joy and giving thanksgiving and all in one heart together. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit and so they become the church together. And everybody starts going, what is going on? Can you imagine what would happen? We have maybe 120 people in this room right now. Could you imagine if all of you this week said the exact same thing over and over again to people wherever you went? Man, Jesus Christ is amazing. Do you know him? What would happen to this, to those around you if the exact same thing kept on being spoken and kept on being pointed back to Jesus Christ? Man, Jesus Christ is amazing. Can you believe what he did in my life here? This is what's going on in my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. What happened in the Pentecost to the disciples or to the apostles was they became one heart and they started to realize that, man, we need to make this all about Jesus. It's not past failures anymore. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to communicate. We want to have joy. We want to have give thanksgiving. And we want to be subject to one another. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next thing is unbelievable. So now what happens through the apostles at Pentecost, verses 5 through 15. What happens through them is that there are nations that start to recognize the glory of God. Scholars say that the reason uh, there's, <laughs> there's well over... Um, 
I don't know, 15 countries represented here, but what they're literally saying, uh, that what they think that Luke is actually saying is, is that every single corner of the world is represented right here, and all of them are hearing the message right now. That each and every one of them is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the, and the funny thing is this, is that every, there's a statement that says, aren't these men from Galilee? And what they're really saying is, is they can't be smart enough to be, te- be speaking our own language. Galilee is not a huge scholarly place uh, of uh, great wisdom and knowledge that comes out of Galilee. Um, It is more of a fisherman town, if you will. Um, And so what they're really saying is, is, wait a second, this is truly amazing. This isn't just a fluke. This isn't just cool uh, guys just, uh, man, okay, maybe they picked up something. They shouldn't be able to speak our language. Which the church is saying that the message of Jesus Christ is for all nation and all people. Do not hold back from them. But the only way that they can do that, I think, is by continually needing the Holy Spirit. I came across a, a guy that said something really interesting. He said, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is actually emptying yourself, of practicing a perpetual emptiness. It is coming to the point of saying to ourselves, God, we can't do this on our own. We need you to fill us. Whatever plans I might think that I have, I need you to step up. Moses, I mean, we see tons of different uh, fathers of the faith. Moses is the one that says, God, I, I can't do this. And he wants to muster up everything inside of himself to say, yep, I'm ready for this. David's not ready to take down Goliath. He says, nope, through the power of God. Joshua isn't sure of what to do. No, through the power of God. Jesus himself says, I I don't want to go to the cross, but it's your will, and so please give me the strength to do this. And it's now the apostles sitting here saying, we don't have the power to be your witnesses, but you do. And so send us your Holy Spirit. And through the rest of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit does amazing work through, through the apostles. But the one thing I keep coming back to over and over again is my desire to come to points and go, God, I want to see the power of you through me. And so, God, would you help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can heal people, so I can cast out demons or, or whatever. And, and, I, and I think about those things and I go, I, I think that what I'm trying to do is muster up this idea that I've got it, that I've arrived in my relationship with Jesus Christ if I can heal these things. And that is simply something that I think is incredibly selfish. And I want to get to the point of going, God, no matter where I'm at, I want to see, I want to see where your power is so that I can just empty myself and be a vessel for you. 
I don't want to go into a room and heal people. I have no desire to be Benny Hinn. Ha, that was supposed to be funny. I thought, I thought you guys would laugh. Um, I, I don't desire any of that sort of stuff. I want to walk with God so much that I'm expectantly waiting in that moment where he goes, now. Not me dictating to God where I want him to step in, but me waiting for God and going, all right, here you go. I've had so many stories of people coming up and going, man, God just showed up. We weren't trying to make God do anything, but he showed up. And because we knew that these things were true about God. I think we want in our lives to do all the amazing things that we know the power of the Spirit can do. But we forget that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And we know we'll have the fruit of the Spirit, or we will have the Spirit when we get to the point of going, I, I, I desire to have all of those things in my life. And just watch what God does through us. Because the rest of this book is filled with healings and, and crazy stories about how God helps them do amazing things. And Jesus says that power is for you guys as well. Problem with me that I'm seeing in my own life is am I bringing God glory or am I bringing myself power? And trying to muster up something. So I'm going to ask the, usher, the ushers, the worship team to come forward. I say that every week. Uh, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come forward, and we're going to sing um, a song called Holy Spirit. And this song I know talks about uh, Holy Spirit, you are, you are welcome here. The thing is, is that the Holy Spirit's already here. Jesus said that... Um, I'm where you guys are gathered, and would you just take the opportunity to recognize that I'm here? And so, is there something in your life this week that you need to go, wait a second, I'm, I'm not expectantly waiting. In fact, I've been trying to get God to do things for me for a long time. And do I believe that God can do those things for us? Absolutely. But what if in my expectant waiting I hear God say, hey, just glorify me and you'll see the true power. We don't necessarily always know exactly what God is doing until we expectantly wait. Until we read through scripture and go, now what, God? I know people in our lives and I, I have friends who will not move until they hear, this is what you're supposed to do. But they ask God the question, God, what do, what do you want me to do? And it's not just an open, blanket-ended statement. It is, God, man, I have a problem with this area of relationship with somebody. God, tell me what I'm supposed to say here. Every year, my wife and I come to do budgets 
And this year I'm feeling more and more of a thing to go, God, what do you want me to do with my money this year? Um, See, it's prideful. With your money. God, what do you want me to do as I walk into that grocery store today? God, I've got a child that I haven't spoken to in a while, and I know that if I say something, I'm just going to make them upset. But God, would you help me say the right words? Do we expectantly wait for the Spirit to guide us and direct us, or are we just trying to do it on our own strength? And so as we sing this song, maybe there is time for you to reflect on, God, where do I need to expectantly wait? And help me do that this week. Help me wait for your breath and your presence this week. So the first thing I have to say, I feel really called to say this. Drinking is one of the biggest problems Glasgow, Montana faces, especially in the wintertime, people trapped in their homes and, and drinking. So if you need to hear this, stop. Stop. And this isn't for everybody. I'm not ridiculing. I'm not picking on anyone in particular. God is just speaking to me, and he says, just, just tell them to stop. Stop. And so now here's another comparison for you is, is I am not trying to tell anyone that it's okay to drink at any certain age in their life, but I was kind of told that as a kid, and I think that we also present that to, to young adults on accident, that, that it's a fun thing to do. And so I used to drink well below the age of 21. I hated it because I'd lose control I'd no longer have control of the words I would say, the actions I would do, keeping things in my stomach. I couldn't control that anymore, and sometimes things would come up. All of my, my boundaries that I would have, personal boundaries, would, would be removed. And so then I think, like, why does God use this comparison here? And in Ephesians and in other places where he says, drunk. Well, the Holy Spirit causes us to lose control, to drop down these walls of fear that we have. And I think a lot of us, if, if you're anything like me, I'm like, and maybe, maybe Seth mentioned a little bit about this, I just, I wanna heal people, right? Like, I just wanna go up to somebody with cancer and instead of just praying and crying with them, I just wanna heal, <laughs> praise Jesus. But <laughs> I can't. God can, I'm, I'm sure. We want to heal. We want to multiply food. We want to speak other languages. We want to we do this stuff. But we can't even listen to God when he says, speak English to that person. Bring food that you already have to your neighbor. And so why on earth is he going to have us smack them with the healing power of God if we can't even speak English to them? And so I think expecting waiting is a lot like drinking. I think we should dive into God's word with the intention of just getting a little. But then we notice that, that maybe we like that a little bit. And then, and then we get a little bit more. And we're just going to get just enough so that we can get to Sunday. 
But, but then we realize, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. I need more of this. And then you get to the point where you can't control it anymore. You're praying all the time. You're saying words to strangers that you had no idea. You're just like, that just came out of my mouth. We've been around, maybe even have been that drunk person, right? I'm not saying let's get drunk with God. That sounds so horrible, but we can't be filled by both spirits. We can not be filled by both spirits. And imagine if we got as excited about God's word, about prayer, about sharing Jesus with our friends as we do about beer. So, to compare both of these, we may just say, I like the taste of wine, right? And we, we, we just have a little bit of wine, or, or we like this particular kind of alcohol. And you can think of these people that you may even live with or you're friends with, and they, they like that, but they don't, they don't ever get drunk. They just get a little, we, we as Christians change the word so that we're saying that we're not drunk because we know that it's wrong. We say tipsy. We can just get a little saucy. We get a little tipsy every once in a while. But imagine if our kids, if, if people around us saw us doing that with God, what would happen to this community? What would happen to this community if we couldn't leave the grocery store without sharing God, if we couldn't go anywhere without our Bible, if we couldn't, I think you get the point. They were confused because they had never seen this before. All the, believe, the non-believers that were around them had never seen it before. And I know that God is asking you to do things that you've never done before. Just keep getting a little bit more, get a little bit more, get a little bit more. And, and eventually we're just gonna lose control and let God just take over. Take over this entire church family. Let's pray. I gotta shut up. Lord, you have this infinitely amazing ability to speak to each one of us individually. And Lord, it's through your Holy Spirit, it's through your wind, it's through your breath, May we see your fire. Lord, may people see your fire through us. May they just feel the presence. May they smell it on us. Lord, can, can we be so in touch with you that people know when we've been in a room? Lord, may your joy, may your grace, may your love, may your forgiveness, may your, your, your fruit of the Holy Spirit be so powerful in this community that no one can deny your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Lord, help us expectantly wait for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that you're gonna ask us to do. But may we start with just baby steps. Help us with the first step today. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.